Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the international affairs, foreign policy, and global development community, and world news aficionados of all stripes. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. As the world turns towards greener economies, there will be a surge in demand for natural resources that enable a less carbon-intensive future. This includes the mineral cobalt, which is a key component of batteries. Most of the world's supply of cobalt is in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the DRC. The last time there was a surge in demand for minerals in the DRC, the competition over access to those minerals was a key driver of conflict in the eastern part of the country. And still today, numerous armed groups continue to operate there. This obviously raises the prospect that increasing demand for cobalt might contribute to insecurity in the DRC. So what can be done to prevent that outcome and ensure DRC's vast cobalt supplies contribute to peace and development, not insecurity and conflict? On the line with me to explain the link between mineral extraction and conflict in the DRC is Laurent Cassindi, Program Quality Specialist at Search for Common Ground. We kick off with a discussion about cobalt mining in the DRC before having a broader conversation about strategies around cobalt extraction that may support peacebuilding and sustainable development. I really appreciated this conversation. I think you will learn a lot from it. I know I did. And I do want to note that today's episode is supported in part through a grant from the Carnegie Corporation of New York to showcase African perspectives on peace and security issues in Africa. Please visit globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And as always, I love your feedback. Hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg or send me a note via the contact button on the website. I always love hearing from you. All right, now here is my conversation with Laurent Cassindi, Program Quality Specialist at Search for Common Ground. DRC uh, is known to be the reserve of some of the more strategic minerals uh, that can help for uh, the industry of, of uh, electric batteries. And we know, for example, that cobalt is, is in the DRC, is one of the most strategic minerals in the DRC, as coltan used to be in the past. And from a DRC perspective, even if we used to be known as a country uh, which is also a reserve of, of gold and diamond, but as we see the future, most of the, mostly we will see a higher demand in cobalt. Can and I just stop you there because you, you just referenced as Colton used to be. I've been doing this for long enough that I know you are referring to a surge in demand of Colton that accompanied a transition towards smartphones. Colton is a key component in the manufacture of smartphones. So in like the mid and early 2000s, as more and more people you know got iPhones and Androids, there was that surge in demand in, in Colton. And you're saying that same surge that we saw 15 years ago uh, is going to happen around cobalt because of its utility in batteries that are required for a transition to a green economy. That's that's exactly. Mm. And honestly speaking, I think from the DRC perspective, um, 
everything related to cobalt is quite new in the DRC. Uh, at the time I was, I was working in field in the DRC, we knew that the world was much more interested with Colton at that time because people could understand the link between Colton and, and smartphones. Um, but anything related to cobalt is quite new. And I can imagine that people outside DRC are more seeing the, uh, the strategic interest of, of cobalt than some of the co- local Congolese uh, populations. Mm-hmm. But in fact, that is it. Uh, we know that the world will be uh, in need of cobalt in the future. And this is where GIS is going to be very uh, kind of a focus of many companies. So how is cobalt mined today in the DRC? Like what does a cobalt mining operation look like? The way it looks like from the moment, I would say, is um, there are like two ways of, of, of operating in that area. The, 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 firstly, there is a kind of formal exploitation of cobalt. You know, uh, the Congolese, the Congolese uh, government have, have had dealed with uh, mining companies operating in the Katanga mostly uh, to formally, uh, you know, run exploitation. We also know that there are some traditional miners uh, who are operating in some some of the areas, and 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 actually we have also seen cases of uh, clashes and confrontation between the mining companies of some of uh, some of the illegal uh, miners. So the fact here for me is sometimes people talk about big companies, but also we see traditional miners who who, who are called that way because they are much more, I think, accepted. But also we know about those who are called illegal. And the way the, the, the difference between these is not always clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have like artisanal miners, you might call it, or traditional miners yes. who have lived on the land for a long time and just kind of are, are, are using, exploiting the land. But also formally what they're doing might be considered illegal because they don't have like a proper concession to mine uh, the area. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's the point exactly. And once again, you know, calling an activity um, illegal depends on the perspective, right? Uh, for most of the local the local Congolese communities living in the areas where some external companies were given a concession, it sounds to them like they are prevented to access uh, to an income. And of course, they don't want just to you know, to go away. They want to stay around the concessions and if possible to to be operating in the concessions, which would be considered as an illegal mining. Mm -hmm. From their perspective, it's just a way of trying to get some income from their traditional lands. But in fact, when you took from the legal perspective, meaning uh, the Congolese law, of course, it is illegal. You have a, a surge in demand uh, of cobalt. A lot of it is localized in this region, Katanga. Can you just maybe describe this region? Yeah, Ka- Katanga is a, um, a region of the DRC, which is actually composed by four provinces, but in the past, it used to only be one province. And it has always been the richest province of the DRC, contributing to, I think, up to 25% and sometimes 30% of the, uh, the Congolese budget, national budget. So Katanga is known to be uh, the, 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 the most 
the, the, the most rich region of, of, of the DRC where a lot of uh, mining companies operate and to explore different uh, strategic uh, minerals. But Katanga is not the only area where, where mining is, is happening in the DRC. Katanga is actually located in, in the south east of the DRC, but in the north, we have some other provinces like uh, North Kivu, South Kivu, and Ituri, which are, are um, kind of regions and areas of operation for many armed groups. The fact is, in these provinces in the north, once again, uh, North Kivu, South Kivu, and Ituri, where we have more than a hundred of armed groups still operating now, uh, people were exploiting coltan, gold, and some other minerals uh, during a period of war. And it was said that the exploitation, illegal exploitation of mining in these areas were contributing uh, once again to fund the war. But the situation in Katanga is historically quite different because in Katanga is, a, is, a, is somehow stable not that much because we also have one or two uh, armed groups operating in the Katanga. But in fact, in most of the areas where uh, big companies are operating, the situation is quite stable, talking on the side of open violence, even if we still have existing conflict between communities or communities and the companies and, and more. Mm-hmm. So it's it's stable for now, but of course the concern is as demand increases for uh, cobalt, there that might be sort of a contributor to competition, which could lead to to armed armed violence. Is that fair? Exactly. So the situation in the DRC, uh, and I think it's very interesting to see how what we've been seeing in the Kivu, so the other provinces, uh, which are actually even now under operation of armed groups, is that we see if people don't take benefits of the exploitation of mining. And if there is a lack of governance and there is a lack of security and, 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 and control of the government of by the government on these areas, it can rapidly escalate to become a, 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 a violent uh, context and fall out of and get out of control. So the fact is um, Katanga, which used to be known as a much more stable part of the DRC, has turned out to become a little bit more unstable uh, during the 10 past years because we see the emergence of armed groups located in the Katanga as well, even if they don't have the same level uh, of, of, of violence you know, uh, against the, the mining companies. But what would happen if this increase in the demand of cobalt uh, doesn't benefit to the communities uh, in, in the Katanga? Um, and, and we know that in the DRC, most of the time, the creation of violent groups will most of the time be, be nourished by frustrations. Mm. So if local communities are, are get, continue being frustrated because they're not getting any benefits of the exploitation of the cobalt in their regions, of course, there will be a, a clear tendency to create armed groups and you know, to create more violence against the companies and any, any institution representing the government. So I know that you focus on strategies to prevent that outcome 
from happening and on programs to prevent uh, violence from uh, erupting in, in parts of the DRC. Can you maybe just describe or explain what can be done to prevent what happened in Ituri and Kivu, where the surge in demand for Colton was a contributor to violence that is ongoing in that region today. What can be done to, to sort of prevent that from happening in, in Katanga? Yeah, the, the first point is, I think, is globally looking at the governments in the DRC, uh, the governance system in the DRC. Um, I think it's all start on that point. We need people need a government which is which is legitimate enough and which is which has a, a, a certain credibility towards the local communities, because uh, any any mining deal is signed between external stakeholders and the Congolese government. And people need to feel represented by the government, which is not a case of the time all the time. So, firstly, we need to people need to support the Congolese government to be able to um, uh, to to show a certain level of of uh, accountability towards the communities uh, in what they are doing with the money, the taxes coming from uh, the, the the mineral exploitation. That's the first thing. Um, and we need that account- accountability. We need that, that transparency, uh, which is supposed to be implemented by the Congolese government. Of course, with the mining companies, but from my perspective, there is a lot which needs to be done by the Congolese government. The second, the second point is mining companies need to, to reach a better understanding of the existing context in the concessions or uh, area where they have to, to exploit. So in, in DRC, you will see at any time and in every region that before a mining, an external mining company would come to operate, uh, there, there is, of course, a, a conflict dynamics in the, in the region that needs to be understood and taken into consideration. And, and if they don't take that in, into consideration because they don't assess enough the context, they don't understand enough what are the kind of relationship between different communities, then there is a high risk of making mistakes in escalating uh, pre-existing conflicts. This is what we call conflict sensitivity, etc. for common ground. So we conflict need mining companies that, yeah, to that, be that's more conflict sensitive. Conflict sensitivity, that, that's an interesting term. And I, I suppose it's born, as you mentioned, from the fact that these are external companies. These are just foreigners coming in. They have one goal to extract the resources, but they don't perhaps have a nuanced understanding of the communities in which they're operating. Exactly. And another hmm. point now, it's about the development of these areas. So what, 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 I, what I see all the time in the DRC is that when you visit a place where there is a, a mining exploitation, you, you, you feel that gap between uh, the, the, the big machines and you know, engines which are, which are circulating in the community, uh, some, some clear and, and uh, kind of external kind of evidence of, of richness of money, uh, what you can see uh, from the staff of the mining companies is opposed to how poor the local communities are. So, uh, and I think that is very frustrating and you cannot avoid having a clash between the mining companies and the local communities 
in a context where people lack schools, they, 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 they lack you know, uh, access to, to, to high quality treatments, uh, they, they, they lack roads to, for, for their agriculture and, and, and much more. And at the same time, and in the same region, you have these external people coming from outside, from Europe, from South Sudan, from China, uh, coming in there and representing or, you know, that level of having money in hands because they are staffed, because they are well equipped, because they have a lot. So for the Congolese communities, the key point here is to see that the exploitation which is undertake underway in the region is also benefiting for the region to, to be developed. And if this is not happening, I, I think it's, it will always remain a, a big trouble. And this is where we see sometimes uh, that mining staff are being attacked, for example, mm. or an increase in illegal mining in the concessions, which will which will create clashes, and sometimes people can get to be harmed or or killed. It can happen. Are there examples right now of either mining companies or um, some sort of way in which resource extraction in around cobalt in particular is being done in like a right way is being done with like kind of the conflict sensitivity and community engagement that, that sort of suggests that development might be sustainable. I want to point out only one example, but I would say I've seen cases where some efforts will were made. Mm. I, I visited some mining uh, mining areas uh, in Katanga, for example, and I've noticed that the some of the mining companies I've just avoided mentioning calling their names, but they were investing in community uh, engagement. You know, a certain amount of money uh, they built, for example, a market. Uh, they, they 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 succeeded to build, I think, uh, a few numbers of schools just to to offer that willingness to the community that they want to really contribute to the development. But most of the time, this is not enough. Uh, if you have our 200,000 of population in, a, in an area and you only build five schools, this is not enough. Yeah, and sometimes I have the sense that some of these many companies will, will only invest the minimum necessary for them to, to save their uh, their reputation outside because they will invest a lot. Of, they invest a lot of money outside also to call in some journalists uh, and, and and you know to bring in some communicate communication specialists who will be able to prevent the reputation outside. But in fact, from the perspective of the local the, the local Congolese communities, uh, there is still more that can be done. So I've seen cases where. Uh, and kind of an investment in the development of the, the areas is done, if it's, even if it's not sufficient, but you could clearly see some effort made in that, that way. Where I see less, um, less engagement in, in, in the area of conflict sensitivity, meaning that or if you operate in, in, in a kind of conflict-affected region where people are divided you know, uh, across some specific dividing lines, you need to pay attention to how you are recruiting. You don't want to to give all the employment opportunities to only one ethnic group, for example, uh, which is opposed to another one. Uh, you have to pay attention to uh, the regions or the sites where you want to build a market or a school, because 
if there is a existing conflict in that region, once again, this can be perceived as you taking side from 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 one one party in the conflict, uh, and 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 much more. And I've really seen that most of the mining companies really need to invest. Uh, in in um, understanding the conflict dynamics in the region and working with, with organizations or specialists who are who, who know much more about how to deal with conflict and how to cooperate in in a conflictual uh, area. And, and presumably, I mean, that's that's you we're talking about, and and your colleagues at Search for Common Ground who uh, engage in grassroots peace building around these issues. Yeah. Exactly. So this is what we've seen because uh, we we had chance to be operating uh, like in parallel in some of the areas where a, uh, a mining exploitation were, was going on, and we could see uh, from our personal experience that a lot could be done, or some of the escalations could be avoided if the mining companies were. Or much more investing in, in conflict sensitivity. But it's not only our perspective. We have concrete examples, even now in the Kivu, where a, a big mining company is no longer accessing some of their concessions because they were attacked by armed groups. And before they, 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 they got to be attacked, they received clear you know uh, uh threats from the the local communities from the the armed groups saying we're not satisfied uh with the way you're operating in our region we're not satisfied with uh any kind of uh development that you're trying to provide to our region so we're not happy to have you here uh it's not only for the benefit of ngos and most of the mining companies operating the drc know that they they have to build relationships with local communities and this path through, um, you know, investing in the development and being somehow transparent with the communities in this investment. In the coming months and years, as demand for cobalt surges, like what sort of trends will you be looking towards that will suggest to you whether or not mining companies and the government are approaching this in a conflict-sensitive way? Let me mention some scenarios. The first scenario would be that the DRC government is now we have we are seeing some change, and I can hope it's going to continue. So the DRC government, you know, uh, demonstrates a certain level of of transparency in, in the way they, they they sign mining deals, for example, and they demonstrate a certain level of accountability towards the communities. If if, if this is done. This is going to decrease a lot uh, some of the frustrations from the communities. This is one scenario, but there is also a scenario where there is no change happening at the Congolese government side, uh, but the mining companies, they tend to be a bit more open to the to the uh, the feedback coming from the field, and they invest a bit more in understanding the context and create relationship in the regions. But it is not enough. And lastly, they invest a bit more uh, to really be uh, key contributors to the development of these local communities. If this happens, it's going to be fine. But there is a scenario which I don't like: is where the local communities remain frustrated. They feel like their, their, the mine roles are taken outside of the DRC only for the benefit of external uh, rich people and rich companies without creating any change to their life. If this happens, 
we will see an increase in the creation of armed groups, firstly, and secondly, an increase in the violence, just in the an increase of violence in the areas where uh, the exploitation of cobalt is, 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 is on way. And if, if it happens, my fear is that external, external industry will decide to avoid uh, cobalt from the DRC. And this is not the scenario that I like. We don't want to get to a situation where uh, the, the external companies who are in need of cobalt will just decide to find alternative ways you know, of dealing with batteries without counting on uh, the problematic uh, cobalt coming from the DRC. And if, if this happens, it's going to be a, a, a regrettable loss of opportunity for the development of the DRC. So personally, I consider that the, the best scenario is where we find a way to make fair deal between external uh, mining, big, big mining companies, the Congolese government and the Congolese populations, so that this becomes not a threat, but an opportunity for the development. And I always believe a win-win is possible in the exploitation of cobalt in the DRC. Uh, well, Laurent, thank you so much for your perspective. This was absolutely fascinating. You're welcome. All right. Thank you all for listening. Merci, Laurent. And yeah, I, I just found that conversation absolutely fascinating. I came into it not knowing much about cobalt. I had, as I mentioned, some brief understanding of the link between Colton and the surge in conflict in the DRC in the early 2000s. Uh, just absolutely fascinating for me to hear directly from someone who is applying lessons learned to prevent that outcome from befalling uh, another region in the DRC. So thank you, Laurent. And just a disclaimer that the opinions and views expressed in this episode belong solely to those of us who express those opinions and views. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.